Welcome again to our online service. I'm Pastor Rich and um, excited to share what God has, has put on my heart. In my email to the church, I talked about how this is a message that came very, very strongly to me um, last week. And uh, I've been praying intensely all week to just make sure that my thoughts are properly aligned uh, with the Lord. So my opening verse is going to come from the book of Habakkuk. And in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, I want to read this to us. And this will be sort of our, one of our key foundational verses, which is really, really important. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God comes from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand and there is hiding of his power. Before him goes pestilence and plague comes after him. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. So I want to talk this morning about the prophetic significance of the corona outbreak. But before I do that, let's just offer our time to the Lord in prayer. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you to have your way. We pray, God, that as we're listening, that you would quicken truth to our spirit. Lord, that you would fortify us, that you would strengthen us, that you would give us great spiritual clarity, Father God, in this hour. Help us, Father God, to be encouraging to others that are around us as you encourage us in our spirits. We thank you for this time and commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are two major points that I want to share with you this morning. One is what the outbreak is not about. And the second main point is what is this coronavirus outbreak about? So let me start first with what this outbreak is not about. It is not about a spirit of fear. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound mind. And I want to make a distinction between the spirit of fear and fear. A distinction between the spirit of fear and fear. Now, fear can be a good thing. It keeps me from harm. It keeps me from doing foolish things. In that sense, it keeps me safe. When I'm afraid to go near the edge of a cliff, that keeps me from potential danger. When I'm afraid to drive at 100 miles an hour, that's good because it minimizes my chance of having an accident. When I'm afraid of taking drugs or drinking too much because it will dull my senses, that's a good thing because it keeps me from losing control of my faculties. This kind of fear is good. But the spirit of fear is bad. It's a paralyzing fear. It's a fear that can be hysterical. It's a fear that can take over our life and rather than acting as an agent of good, it dominates me. It's no longer my servant, it's my master. COVID-19 has pushed many people into a spirit of fear. And this is not from God because he does not give fear in this way. When we have a healthy fear, a cautious fear, precautionary fear, a respectful fear of COVID, but not to be terrorized by it, that's the way that God wants us to respond. Spirit of fear is not God's way. Now in this verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul gives us three elements that when you look at them in the inverse, it tells us what a spirit of fear is about. 
The first is that it's a feeling of powerlessness, like it has us in its grip, like we're at its mercy, like we have no way to win this battle. We can't do anything about it, and that's a terrible feeling. And no one wants to be put in a situation where they feel they have no control over it. Turns out, the way this virus works and presents itself, there is actually a lot of control that we have over it. You compare the tools that we have at hand today versus 1918 when the Spanish flu broke out and killed 50 million people, or in the late 50s where a million people died during the Asian flu. And we have a lot of control over this virus. We have test kits, we have hospitals, we have masks, we have hand sanitizers, we have medications to blunt the symptoms. We have modern media to communicate the global health measures that we need to take. We have epidemiologists tracking the progress of the virus. We have modern microbiology that can look at what the virus looks like under the microscope or electron microscope. We can identify the mechanism by which these viruses attack cells, and we can develop vaccines against it. We are so far ahead in our ability to control and subdue this virus compared to yesteryear, it's not even a contest. Is this virus still dangerous? For sure. But we have the tools to address it like never before. If you ever wanted to live in a time where a plague breaks out, not that we would ever want that, now is the time. We are not powerless, we are powerful. A second characteristic of the spirit of fear is that we act in the opposite of love. We hoard. We buy out the meat section. We buy out sanitizer and then resell it at exorbitant prices on Amazon. We clean out the toilet paper shelves. We buy out the masks. We don't care if the more vulnerable cannot access medical attention. Rather, we rush to get into the queue and clog up the healthcare system. This is all motivated by a spirit of fear, that primal instinct to preserve ourselves at all costs without regard to anyone else. It's sickening to see people act with brazen selfishness, but it's real and it's there for all of us to see. Third characteristic of the spirit of fear is irrationality. We throw out sound thinking. We give up a sound mind. We can't be reasoned with. The fear has got a hold of our emotions and it dominates everything. Reason and wisdom don't prevail. Interestingly, this irrationality can come from too much information when that information is meant to calm us down. My mom lives in Taipei. She's 82 years old and she's in great health. She and my dad were living in one of the initial hotspots of the COVID outbreak. And for eight to 10 hours a day, she would watch the news and CNN and absorb stories of danger and calamity to the point that she had to see the doctor for her high blood pressure. My mom has never had high blood pressure her whole life. She is as healthy as they come. No surgeries. She doesn't have to take any medications. She was just with our family over Christmas and ate as much apple pie and velvet cake as she wanted. She sleeps well, travels well, has no disease. But when she inundated herself with too much information, she got into a spirit of fear. Thankfully, my dad took her to the doctor and they calmed her down and got her blood pressure back to normal. If all we do is feed ourselves with bad news without the balancing news, we get out of kilter. Now, if the situation is there's only bad news, then we just accept that and that's keeping our right mind because that's the reality of things. 
But in this COVID-19 situation, there is more than enough positive information for us to stay steady. Now, if we read this verse for the way that Paul penned it, not only as insight into how the spirit of fear works, but how God works, we get a lot of encouragement. First, he gave us a spirit of power. As Christians, we have the power of prayer. We have the power of community. We have the power of the word, the power of his presence, the power of miracles, the power of healing. We have the power of worship. When David went into battle against Goliath, he didn't deny that the giant wasn't there. He was just more aware of God's power with him than Goliath's power against him. My good friend, Pastor Luke in Taiwan, he's part of a congregation that's multi-thousand. He wrote this a couple days ago on Facebook to his members. In the face of the virus, we all assume that the virus is right next to you. So wear masks, wash your hands, keep your distance. We disinfect, wipe floors, chairs, tables, all because we assume the virus is right there. So, with, so is your faith in the virus far greater than your faith in God? Do you assume that God is everywhere? Right where you reach, right around you. If you believe the virus is right next to you, you should believe that God is right beside you. Reach out and touch God. I love that perspective. If Jesus or Paul or Peter or any of the early church Christians were alive today facing COVID-19, they would be following all the guidelines given to us by our health officials. And they'd be taking all the precautions we're supposed to take. But they wouldn't be in a spirit of fear. After all, Jesus regularly came in contact with people with communicable diseases from leprosy on down. But Jesus didn't recklessly run into a leprosy colony because God was with him. No, he acted with wisdom under the Spirit's, Spirit's guidance and in accordance with civic authorities over his life. He had a spirit of power and not fear. This verse also tells us that God gives us a spirit of love, a spirit of charity, a spirit that looks out for others, shares our daily goods, our toilet paper, runs errands for the elderly, keeps in mind the needs of the entire community, not just my parochial interests. I had a doctor's appointment last Saturday to get an MRI, went to Royal Columbia Hospital. When I pulled into the parking lot, I was amazed there was hardly anyone there. I thought the hospital was shut down. Walked into the MRI department, started talking to the attending nurses, and as I was overhearing their conversation, they said, this has never been this quiet. And as he began to explain, they said that people were heeding the public announcements and staying away from hospital to keep the load down on the system. I could not have been more proud of us as Canadians. That's charity and that's love. Down at the Hive Cafe, I talked to a customer who was a nurse at Eagle Ridge Hospital. Their special units were completely full. But she said no one was coming in for minor bumps or scrapes like they normally see. Our fellow citizens were acting with a collectivism for the common good. That's love. That's the spirit that God puts on us, not a spirit of fear. Then Paul says in this verse that God has given us a sound mind. We don't lose our mind. We possess a sound mind. And we should arm ourselves with information and act in wisdom accordingly. And that reasoning should be in charge of our emotions and not our emotions in charge of our reasoning. This is not to say that we lose empathy because that should be at an all-time high. 
But if we're of sound mind, then we can minister and bring calm to those who are in fear. If we're all in fear, then we're all crazies together in a locked room without a doorknob. And who is there to take control of the situation? Thank God for Prime Minister Trudeau and Adrian Dix, our Minister of Health, and Dr. Bonnie Henry, our Chief Provincial Health Officer, as they speak out of a sound mind. They're sharing the real risks of COVID-19, but they are calm and collected. So this is my first point. This, that COVID, what COVID-19 is not about. COVID-19 was not sent by God to put us into a spirit of fear. Now let me talk about what COVID is about. What is God doing? What are his prophetic purposes? As it turns out, our series on the minor prophets is timely because we've been talking about judgment. How judgment is sent by God to correct and to discipline us because of the rampant and persistent sin that we hold on to. God sent Assyria to exile Israel because of the decades and centuries of idolatry. God then sent Babylon against Judah for the same reason. Both nations had fallen into sin that had completely taken over their society. And with hardened sin, it requires strong measures and strong judgments. Therefore, we've seen God use locusts, economic calamity, military defeats, famine, and more in order to correct Israel. I believe there is a spirit of judgment that is working through COVID-19, but not in the way that you think. I think my message today may surprise you in a positive way, or it may open your mind or even shock you. There's a lot of apocalyptic messages out there right now. But my message does not come from the end of the Bible. The book of Revelation comes from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. But to set the stage of what I'm going to say, I need to show you a six-minute video about COVID-19 to give you some context. This is one of many videos and articles out there looking at this same issue. But I've chosen this one because of its excellent and clear presentation. Last Sunday at the dinner table, my son Matt, who is at home in self-isolation after being recalled from Singapore from his overseas studies, he showed this video to our family, and it traces where and why the coronavirus has broken out. When I was viewing this video, the, a cascade of revelation hit me as to why God has allowed this outbreak to happen and his prophetic purposes behind it. But before I get to that explanation, I want to run this video for you. It's about six and a half minutes. So this clip is a powerful expose of what is behind the coronavirus outbreak and the incredible cruel and inhumane exploitation of animals of every kind. Many reports now are coming out exposing these wet markets. But for me, when I saw this video, it was like the spirit opened my eyes. These reports were telling me something very prophetic. The truth of what God is doing, it's actually hiding in plain sight. And it's a radical alternative and unique view of the COVID situation. We've been focusing on the symptoms of COVID-19 to the tune of billions and trillions of dollars. 
fighting the health issues created by it and the economic and social impact, as we should because lives are at stake. But we're only exerting a fraction of that effort in addressing the cause, which is the wet markets and their stomach-turning cruelty to animals. In fact, these markets are not just one-off markets here and there. There are over 1.5 million of these wet markets in China and tens of thousands more around the world. Vendors are slaughtering and grilling bats, dogs, rats, crocodiles, snakes, rabbits, and more. This is an epidemic mistreatment of animals. So what does this have to do with the Bible? I want to talk a little bit about God's relationship to animals. Number one, God created animals and they are all his. On the sixth day of creation, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the field and after their kind. God made these beasts after their kind. And when he created them, God said that it was good. In Psalm 50, David said, for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. God has ownership in all of his creation. God also cares about the well-being of animals. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. God may be ruling the universe. He may be ruling the affairs of men. But he's not distant from the fact that just even a little sparrow falls to the ground. He values his creatures, which is valued at less than one penny to every single one of us. Meaning that he cares for his creatures and cares deeply about how we treat them, regardless of how small or insignificant they are. It isn't that just God notices the sparrow's death like we might notice the wind is blowing. God is emotionally invested in that sparrow and cares about what happens to it. In Jonah chapter 4, the last verse, as God poured out his mercy on that city, the scripture says, Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand? And then this little phrase, as well as many animals. So God spared not only the multitudes in Nineveh, he also deliberately spared the animals. The Bible also tells us that God enjoys animals. Psalm 104, verse 24. David also says, How many are your works, Lord? In all wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond numbers, living things, both small and large. God loves to interact and take care of animals. The wild goats and the rock badgers, the beasts of the forest, young lions, animals, both small and great. Job reminds us that most events in nature take place beyond human habitats and awareness. A lot of times we think that God only values something when we can see what's going on. But when God looks at all the different habitats, when he looks at nature, he enjoys what's going on. In Job 39, that chapter, God asks Job, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the deer give birth to their fawn? I gave the wild donkeys the wasteland as his home. Does the eagle soar at your command and build his nest on high? 
The self-evident answer to these questions is that only God is present to observe these events and he enjoys these animals. God hears the cry of animals. He has compassion over them and provides for them. Psalm 136, 25, he gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Job 38, 41, who prepares for the raven its nourishment when its young cry to God? Psalm 147, 9, he gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens which cry. God communicates with animals. In Genesis, God told Noah to build an ark in order to save himself and the other creatures of the world. And when it was time for the flood to begin, the text says the animal went into the ark after Noah. Noah did not herd them in. He was not behind them, pushing them into the ark. The family went in first, and then two by two, the animals went in in a very orderly fashion. The wonderful explanation for this is that God talked directly to each of these animals and told them to enter into the ark. Another example of God communicating with animals is found in the story of the prophet Elijah. When Elijah fled from Ahab, king of Israel, he went to an area east of the Jordan River. And the scripture says that God commanded the ravens to bring Elijah food where he was. God talks to his creation. We also see this. God wants us to respect and take care of animals. Proverbs 12, 10. A righteous man has regard for the life of his animals, but even the compassion of the wicked is cruel. There's something about how God has made us in terms of our dignity that it's important for us to have regard for his creation. Animals also have the capacity to enjoy life. Psalm 104, 26. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, that is whales, which you formed to frolic there. Job 39, 13, the wings of the ostrich flap joyfully. Job 40, 20, the hills bring it their produce and all the wild animals play nearby. The testimony of scripture in our own experience tells us that animals have a capacity for joy. Animals also bring glory and praise to God. Psalm 148, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths. Wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds. Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And then we read this very, very important passage from Genesis. God made a covenant with all the animals of the earth. God spoke to Noah. Behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the field with you, and all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I'm making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I've set up my bow in the cloud. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow, bow will be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. Now think about this. God established a covenant, not only with Noah, but with all the animals of the earth, that he would never extinguish them again, but save and protect them. Like he did for us when he sent Jesus 
to the cross to save us. A covenant is the highest commitment that God can enter into. There is no higher commitment. And he did this with every animal of the earth. From the inchworm to the elephant, from the minnow to the killer whales. That God would enter into a covenant with the animals tells up of his deep care. And it underpins a theology of God's love for animals that we may have not considered before. And this, I believe, interprets for us the prophetic implications of COVID-19. This virus has been released by God to force the hand of nations to stop its degrading of animals and wildlife, which he created. COVID-19 represents a spirit of judgment from God in the earth and it is God fulfilling his promise to protect creation as given in his covenant with Noah. Every time God sees a rainbow in the earth, he remembers he must rise to protect his creation. Could COVID-19 really be judgment about our mistreatment of animals? I believe it is. Let's remember again what Habakkuk said. Chapter 3, verse 4, part C, he talks about the hiding of God's power. The prophetic purposes of God have been hiding in plain view. While everyone is focused on the symptoms created by COVID, the medical and economic duress, God is pointing us to the root of the problem, untold abuse towards creation. So would God really put the nations through this kind of trauma to the tune of trillions of dollars and thousands of deaths for the sake of animals? If the main culprit is in China, as, in, as was found in Wuhan meat markets and Foshan's wet markets that gave rise to SARS, couldn't God be a, little, be a little bit more surgical about it and just inflict China? But here's the situation. When SARS happened in 2002, it did not change China's behavior. The wet markets just went back to doing business as usual. Now, 18 years later, what do we have? We've got the coronavirus, which has now spread to over 150 nations compared to just 29 when SARS came about. And what is God trying to do then? Because China has been stubborn and did not change in 2002, he is rallying the nations to put pressure on China to forever ban its wet markets. And not only in China, but every wet market in the world. God is intent on preserving his creation because how we treat animals is a sign of our humanity. God is trying to keep our dignity. Remember the verse from Proverbs 12:10: a righteous man has regard for the life of his animal. When we as a society don't treat animals well, we coarsen the soul. We deaden the soul. We lose part of our humanity and we become accustomed to violence. You know who first connected this idea of cruelty to animals with this phrase, coarsening of the soul? It was William Wilberforce. Does anyone know who William Wilberforce is? He's the man who abolished slavery in England. He is a giant and he's a hero of social reform. The movie Amazing Grace was made to document his amazing life. But most people don't know that William Wilberforce also started the first animal protection society in the world in 1809. 
In fact, for part of my research this week, I actually went back and read the original speech that was given in the British Parliament in 1809 to hear what was their conviction and what it is that they were trying to advocate for. Ultimately, that was the beginning of the first protection society for animals. William Wilberforce was the ultimate trailblazer. And why did he start a society to protect animals? Because of his conviction from Scripture regarding God's creation. In the Old Testament, Judaism places great stress on proper treatment of animals. Unnecessary cruelty to animals is strictly forbidden. Under Jewish laws, animals are to be treated with kindness and care. And animals and humans share the fourth commandment together. Did you know that? There's the fourth commandment, which also speaks to how we are to take care of our animals on the Sabbath. We're also forbidden to muzzle an ox while it's working in the field, just as we must allow human workers to eat from the produce they are harvesting. Spiritual giants like Jacob and Moses and David, they were all shepherds, people who cared for animals. One of the, the commentaries that comes from the Talmud regarding Moses as a leader was that he was chosen by God because of his tender, loving care for animals. Now, it doesn't say that in the Bible, but Talmud and Jewish tradition likes to paint this picture of why Moses was selected to be the deliverer. Likewise, Rebekah was chosen as a wife for Isaac because of her kindness to animals. When Abraham's servant asked for water for himself, she volunteered to water his camels as well and thereby proved herself a worthy wife. And what is the most, one of the most beloved titles that Jesus holds? The great shepherd. It's a metaphor from the animal kingdom. Our relationship to animals proves our humaneness before God and our lack of it invites judgment. So we come back to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 5. Before him goes pestilence and plagues come after him. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. That's describing exactly what we're experiencing all across the world. Before him goes pestilence and plagues come after him. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. God is moving through the earth with pestilence and plague. It's his divine intervention to protect creation. COVID-19 virus is due to the wet markets in Wuhan, which is a massive abuse of animals for profits. God has released a virus to stop this activity in keeping with his covenant to Noah and every living creature. Coronavirus represents a global reset because it's violating God's creation. So in light of COVID-19 and what it's about, I call on China to permanently ban all wet markets forever. And I call on all nations around the world with relationship to China to exert its full influence to persuade China to shut down all its wet markets. This is to act in concert with God's agenda and covenant. And not only do I call on China to do this, I call on all nations with wet markets to permanently shut down their wet markets with legislative action so they will never operate again. And then this, I guarantee China and all nations, if you shut down all wet markets from 2020 forward, you will never see a SARS or COVID-19 virus outbreak in your country again. You will save thousands of lives among your own people and people around the world as well as saving trillions of dollars in emergency funding and societal disruption and devastation. Then when you see God's protection over you, when you banish these wet markets, 
you will see that he is God over all the earth and his great love for creation, which then points us to his ultimate love, which is you and me, as we are his most treasured possession in all of creation. And with that evidence, may you turn to him as the savior of the world, the one that not only saves animals, but saves mankind by sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins so we could have eternal life. In the end, this COVID-19 virus is actually about the gospel of salvation. This is what the covenant of Noah says. God saves, God saving animals is a picture that God saves us. Jesus is our ark. Coronavirus is God's global reset for our relationship to animals and the cruelty done to them. God is king and protector over his creation through this virus. If you've seen pictures of the virus, you know why it's named this way. The picture on the left is a computer simulated image. The picture on the right is an actual electron micrograph of the virus. As you can see from the outer portion, outer surface of the virus, it has trumpet-like projections forming a corona, which is Latin for crown. This is a picture that God is ruling over his creation to protect them through this virus. It's his kingship in invisible form. God is trumpeting his truth to all who will hear. So here's my closing thoughts. We come back to Habakkuk chapter 3 and we read what the prophet says. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. So there's a twofold prayer for us in this verse. Number one, it's a prayer for mercy. In the midst of all the disruption, even devastation, God, let your mercy be poured out. There's a song that has just come out recently called The Blessing, written by Cody Carnes and Kari Job. I encourage everyone to look it up on the internet, YouTube. Powerful song, and it represents the kindness of God in the midst of this coronavirus that's broken out. The second part of this verse leads us to pray for revival. Habakkuk says, repeat them in our day. May this lead to a global outpouring, a looking up to God so that men's hearts will be open to receiving Jesus as their savior. Second thing is a call to action, to write to our MPs and advocate that they tell China to shut down all wet markets. There's already a growing chorus crying out for this. We're not the first to advocate for this, but lend your voice so it becomes a roar. I've already written my MP, my Minister of Parliament, Ron McKinnon. I have a sample letter for any of you that would like to use it as a letter that you can write to your MPs. I've also written to the UN and asked them to propose a global ban on all wet markets. I have the website address for you to write them as well. If we truly believe that this is God's covenantal action moving through the commitment that he made to Noah, then there's a part that we can play to stop this. All the disruption to the global economies, it's wholly preventable by shutting down these markets and the cruelty that is going on with these animals. 
And the virus has been released in order to force the hand of man to let go and to stop this cruelty. My last point here comes from the verse I started out with in 2 Timothy chapter 1, that we need to abide in power and love and sound mind and not the spirit of fear. So Father, we look to you right now. We thank you, God, that your covenantal action is working in the earth. That you are doing things, Father God, that the human mind can easily just skip over and not see. But I pray, God, that you'd begin to settle something afresh in our hearts. That even as you're reaching out to protect your creation, it's the beginning and foretaste that you're going to reach out and call the nations to yourself. In the same way that you saved all the animals in Noah's time, it was for also saving all of mankind. And it's a prophetic foretaste, God, of what you want to do. We pray, God, according to 2 Timothy chapter 1, that you would help us to abide in power and love and of sound mind. That the spirit of fear, Father God, would be removed from us, that we would put it under our feet, and that, Father God, we can have joy even in the midst of these difficult times. We give thanks to you, Father God, for your scripture. Help us to have understanding in these days as the sons of Issachar did, who understood the times and knew what they should do. We give thanks to you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, I hope you have a great week coming up. Of course, we're all fixed uh, to the news to see the next things that might happen, but I'm trusting that with our collective action, we're flattening the curve and we're able to recover quickly in terms of our economy and get back to our regular routines. So God bless, have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next week online.